0: hi i'm tori and i'm hannah and this is wait Wait, why Why? welcome back to another episode guys excited to have you excited to have our audience growing we've hit 100 plays on our (laughs) episode so far so we're excited to keep bringing content to you guys hearing your feedback has been awesome so keep giving it to us um you want to jump into some life updates tori yeah, um, so in my life,
1: I just started my yoga teacher training, so my 200-hour teacher training course. Um, yeah, so that has been very exciting. So I've just been focusing on the literature behind yoga, as well as the science, and then conducting some classes as well to our friends over Zoom. All of the class has been online, which is really interesting. Um, so you're not getting as much in-person contact. But I think it's still really valuable and I'm excited to see where it goes yeah. um, and just learning the process. And also it gets me practicing pretty much every day, which I have not been doing um, as often as I would like. So this is really helping with that.
0: Yeah, I love it. It's like I have a personal yoga instructor now, so <laughs> I'm not complaining at all. I think it's yeah. awesome. And we did a practice together last night. Um, some, a friend joined over Zoom as well. And I thought Tori did a great job. It was, like, a perfect evening flow. I'm excited. Oh, thanks. I'm so excited to see you, like, become a yoga instructor. Me
1: too. I think it would also be really cool to do, like, paddleboard yoga as well.
0: Oh yes. I think that would be really fun. Yes. Is that, like, a separate training, though? I am not sure. Interesting. We'll just see.
1: I'm sure there's additional trainings you can do, but I think you'd still be able to teach with just a 200-hour
0: teacher training. Awesome. Well in my life update i've been in ohio for the past week i like just got back and i was visiting my grandma my uncle my dad did some golfing my dad and my uncle both golf so played a few holes with them i held my own held my own i was gonna say how did that go um but yeah i think there were definitely some moments of disappointment in my dad's (laughs) eyes but overall i think he was proud of The good moments. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure
1: he's just happy to have you there.
0: Yeah, and craziest part of my trip to Cleveland was my grandma on her bucket list has wanted to get a tattoo, so we went and we got tattoos. My 85 year old grandma got tatted.
1: That's amazing. Um,
0: Yeah, it was really it was a really nice experience. The tattoo artist we had was really nice. I'll give. I'm not sponsored, but I'll give the place called Body Revolution in the Cleveland area.
2: A little multi- shout out yeah a
0: little shout out there's multiple spots I've actually been to them for more than one of my tattoos that's not awesome. the same location but anyway it was great and when we walked out of the tattoo room there were like a few people waiting for piercings or whatever in the lobby and uh the group was like oh like watching my little grandma <laughs> come out with her bandaged up tattoo so oh, that's awesome yeah it was it was a good week in Ohio it's always yeah. a good time to visit family
1: I don't know many 85-year-olds that are getting tatted. Yeah,
0: I will say, I will say she said she's not doing it ever again.
1: <laughs> but off the bucket list, Yeah, you know, one check. and done.
0: At least she did it. That's amazing. Oh, Alright guys, for today's episode, we want to talk about why accessibility is important. And this is such a big topic for us. Um, it's very, very broad. There's so many different avenues we can go down, mm-hmm. but... The birth of this idea was kind of from our experiences traveling, and when we noticed areas that weren't accessible or areas that may be difficult for certain groups to access, such like that, things like that. Um, so, yeah, I guess from a personal viewpoint, um, we obviously saw that out on the road, but then when I came back, I did my residency course. Mm-hmm. And while I was in my residency, we talked to some. Oh, big group of interesting people, but one of them was John Jarvis, who was the director of the national parks appointed by Obama. And he talked about, when a question was posed to him about how are we working to make the national parks more accessible, he mainly spoke to um, the hearing and vision impaired. Um, And it just got me thinking even more about how else we can consider accessibility in these spaces. before we say too much more, we just want to point out that we are not experts in this topic. We tried to do our research. We want to be as correct as possible, but we're still learning. We encourage you guys to keep learning and just keep expanding on that knowledge because we're certainly not experts. Um, this is, once again, just a question that we wanted to explore. Mm-hmm. Um, so we want to educate you guys based off of how we've educated ourselves, but of course there's so much more out there to learn.
1: Yeah, and recognizing that we come from a viewpoint the fully able absolutely. beings. And so we will, <clears throat> excuse me, my voice is like going out. Um, and so we will never know that perspective. So we're just trying to recognize it the best that we can. Um, so it's important to acknowledge that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is one of those topics, All right, disabilities affects a lot more people than we realize. And yes. we don't really talk about it that much. Um, in fact, one in four adults have a disability, according to the CDC. So that's approximately 61 million Americans. So we're talking a large portion of the population here. Um, And yeah, like Hannah said, a lot of this stemmed from our trip out West, just going to the national parks, even um, national forests, not necessarily with the park service as well, like state rec areas. Um, And just seeing a lot of the trails, um, rest facilities, um, park offices, campgrounds, not necessarily being the friendliest to people with physical disabilities. So yeah. something we want to explore a little bit further.
0: Absolutely. And just to circle back to the point about John Jarvis is the main focus of what the parks is do- are working on right now is like providing braille in their visitor centers or, um, I'm sorry, I'm like losing my train of thought, but just accessibility for those who can't see or hear. So right. it's not a lot of the physical disability side, Yeah, um, which is what we were wondering about most while mm-hmm. we were out on the trails. Uh, I will say, I did want to give a shout out to, in Kings Canyon National Park, the General Grant Loop, which was around one of the, it was around a really big, famous giant sequoia.
1: Yeah, it was the The general general grant. Is that the name? Okay.
0: Uh (laughs) Dumb of me. Anyway, but that was very accessible, and I did notice that. It was a very accessible trail, so, like, kudos to that. I see where they are trying, and I understand that it's difficult in other areas. Mm -hmm. Um, But these are just the things that made us want to explore this question.
1: Yeah, and I know that they do have guidelines that they have to follow for accessibility within the parks, Um, and they are doing some, like you mentioned, with the trails, but... I think the biggest thing for us is realizing to think with that mindset. Absolutely. Because coming from an area where we're so capable of doing so much, we don't generally think in the mindset of a disabled person. Um, so just starting to explore what that looks like. And then from that, we can gain an understanding of what that means. Yeah. And then moving forward, applying that to the rest of your life. So I know um, for me, I didn't really, wasn't really exposed to, um, and accessibility or people with disabilities so much in my mindset or my um, frame of thinking until I listened to a podcast again most of this <laughs> going back to podcast um, until I listened to a podcast where they talked about the limited um, access of to trails from plus size people. So, mm. um, and then that seeing that really opened my eyes and through that, having that newfound perspective going out West, I started thinking more of, um, in that mindset when I was on the trails. So like, is this friendly to people who maybe have, um, walking impairments or if they are plus size, um, and just kind of seeing that and applying it to the trails I was on. Cause most of the time you go for a hike and you're only thinking about, like, it doesn't even cross
0: your mind. Absolutely.
1: Um, and I don't know, I don't know when was, like, the first time you started thinking.
0: Yeah, the first time I realized it um, was in some tweet, actually, that talked about how when you're on a sidewalk before you go to a crosswalk, there's, like, those divots where it kind of uh-huh. goes, dips down, and it's easy for, like, baby strollers to go down, but... Obviously, those are also really, really useful for people with physical disabilities who are in wheelchairs. And I had never thought about it before, but there was a time when those weren't there. And people with physical disabilities couldn't go down a curb and cross the street Mm -hmm. because those divots weren't there. And that's when it opened my eyes where I was like, wow, there are all these really small things that I just accept as every day because it's never been a struggle for me. But then you realize they're there for a reason for people who did have to struggle for that right in some way. So that's the small example that opened my eyes. But then absolutely, as Tori and I were having discussions while we were out West, I mean, you think about it more and more and you start to see it in more and more places. And as we mentioned, like, early on, this is a topic we could go down so many different avenues. So many. um, Because there's a lot with, like, environmental ableism and, like, trying to push forward this climate justice movement without disenfranchising people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just there's so much we could talk about here. But instead of just hearing us talk, we thought it would be pretty cool to bring on our first guest. We're super excited. Today we have with us Janet Morrison. She majored in special education at the College of Charleston with a focus in intellectual and emotional disabilities and she's currently a special education teacher in South Carolina. And she's also had a lot of experiences throughout her career in camps and in different school settings and can really bring that perspective of um, special education to the table here. So without further ado, here's Janet. Hey, how's it
2: going? <laughs> We're
0: super excited to have you as our first guest. I'm excited um, to be here. If you just wanna, I don't know, introduce yourself maybe a little more, talk about your school experience and like maybe your current job, what you do right now.
2: Yeah, so um, I went to College of Charleston to study special education. Um, I focused on emotional behavioral disabilities, but obviously uh, learned through a a wide range of all of the disabilities prior to choosing what you wanna focus on. Um, So I did end up having a lot of experience with all sorts of disabilities throughout my college career um but eventually focused in on emotional behavioral disabilities and i currently work in a um pretty exclusive program um in south carolina for students who have severe emotional and behavioral uh, disabilities
0: what made you identify like emotional behavioral as the route you wanted to go down
2: um so I really focused on like the connections that I can make with other humans, um, like really deep and intense connections. And I wanted to kind of take the therapy route of things um, and be a driving force in someone's life who really just needs stability and things like that. And so Mm -hmm. I was able to take like past experiences and kind of past experiences of working in outdoor camps and using um, the environment to help work with students like that and weave that into the classroom.
1: Yeah. Nice. Cool. I
2: love that. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned the
1: outdoor camp. Can you talk a little bit more about that and what you did there?
2: <laughs> yeah. So uh, I worked at a camp in upstate New York for students with a wide range of disabilities. Um, pretty much any disability um, was allowed at the camp, also including um, students who came from low-income backgrounds. Um, and the whole point of the camp was to give them an environment where you use the outdoors um, to kind of help them cope and learn strategies and ways to like develop as humans and create relationships. Um, it was super awesome. <laughs> I mostly worked with female students um, with a wide range of disabilities. So some high functioning female students and others that were extremely low functioning. Um, and we used, it was on a lake and it was in the woods. So we used the outdoors and swimming and hiking and teaching them skills that you would learn um, in order to survive in the outdoors, as ways to help them overcome some of the um, obstacles that they would have in their way.
0: So what in what ways could you do that? Could you give like an example, like an activity that you guys would do and how you made it accessible for someone with a physical disability mm-hmm. versus an intellectual disability?
2: Yeah, so I would say probably the best things we would do um, that we would get to at the end of the week after preparing was just go on like an overnight in the woods. Um, so you would take the kids and it's not, the hike wasn't extremely long or extremely strenuous, but you have some students who have physical disabilities. So physically it's difficult for them. Yeah. And then you have other students who may be on the spectrum and have a block where the woods are really scary and Mm -hmm. hiking is really scary and they have sensory overload and things like that. Um, and it's all a matter of preparing them and giving them, um, creating relationships and bonds within each other and using each other. Um, to help them guide their way through the woods. And then we would go and um, our camp was a one-to-one ratio, so there was always a counselor for a camper.
0: Okay. And that was a
2: really extremely important aspect of it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we would go for a hike in the woods and we'd bring all our food with us and we'd set up. So the counselors would kind of go and set up camp prior to the students coming, um, but set up camp and like help these kids learn how to make a fire and do anything that your average camper would do mm. with no difference. Um, but it was really just having the support of the staff to be able to accommodate for all of these students or these campers needs.
1: Yeah, awesome. yeah. yeah. I was going to ask about the ratio. I feel like mm-hmm. if anything bigger than one to one, that might be hard to balance and give attention to.
2: Yeah, and each camper requires a different um, type of situation. So, you know, yeah. your higher functioning campers, you can kind of put them in a the leadership position um, and they can help with the other campers that are there. But yeah, the ratio is definitely super important. I'm sure.
0: Okay, I'm going to ask kind of a sensitive question here because I. obviously (laughs) this is not a reliable source, but I saw on TikTok it was a girl who was autistic and she was saying how she doesn't like the terms high-functioning versus Mm -hmm. low-functioning. And I understand why that can be difficult because I I can just see why it can be difficult because someone who is quote-unquote high functioning sees that as like a determiner of who they are kind of like a worth yeah so how do you like i know there's a lot of sensitivities with being politically correct in that way there is a lot yeah um so what is your take on that specific debate and if you have any opinion
2: yeah i mean absolutely um I mean it is a spectrum and this it's a it's a large scale and people go up and down on the scale all the time and there's different reasons for why you can be one way or another way. Yeah. Um I agree obviously I like, would never want anyone to perceive like low functioning as in not able to you know, not yeah. able to do something that they want to do. Um but yeah, there's a lot of a a lot of the verbiage that's used is very it's still it's ever changing it's constantly changing Mm -hmm. um some of the words that they used when I was in college you would never use Mm -hmm. like in today um in the world today so I mean I have respect for anyone that disagrees with the way that they're labeled um especially people with disabilities are constantly being labeled um Mm -hmm. and so for me I just like to keep myself open-minded and refer and respect whatever they yeah
0: at the same time I see your I absolutely see your point about it being a spectrum and yeah in some ways it's helpful as like someone who aids these people right to be able to use and it, that
2: and particularly with autism a lot of it's like it's difficult because the spectrum is it's so varied because it's the social part of the spectrum and mm-hmm. then there's the intellectual part of the spectrum so someone might be so so intelligent extremely intelligent but then are have an extremely difficult time with socializing and their social cues and things like that and picking up on um, the environment in that way so how do you really define that person right. absolutely
1: and yeah. that's seen in so many other causes too especially with the vocabulary mm-hmm. not only being ever-changing but also with a person who's so and um there's so many different layers to a person how right. do you find that one word to capture them
2: and yeah. that's yeah and that's one thing we actually discussed a lot when I was in school is Special education is so surrounded by, or people with disabilities in general, so surrounded by labels. Yeah. And how do you, why no human wants to be labeled a specific way, and why do we specify, particularly people with disabilities? Why do we constantly give them all these labels? Because every human is a human, and they don't have depth to them.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, right, and it almost serves as like a constant reminder too.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know. Mm-hmm. And then that in itself almost, like,
0: is an impediment to, like, fitting in and the normalcy of the yeah. disability as well.
2: Yeah.
0: So, you brought, in that answer, you brought up school a little bit, mm-hmm. and I kind of wanted to hear more about what your education in learning special education was, because obviously Tori and I come from completely different backgrounds. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, if you want, is any standout experiences in school or... In college. You want to just talk about, yeah, college experiences yeah. a little bit. Um.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was... School for me was really interesting because there was only 15 other people that were learning what I was learning. So our... Wow. Yeah, so our class size was extremely small, and we had every class with every professor every single day together in the exact same classroom. So my college career was very specific. Yeah, that's a very unique
1: college experience. We
2: kind of had a similar experience just with a really small class size. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So you're able to really... uh, develop strong relationships and have good discussions with your classmates. But some of the classes that I was taking, I know you're interested, I took a women in gender studies class um, and it was specific, it was specific about women in the world with disabilities and overcoming that. Um, And that was probably one of the most enlightening classes that I had took in college and that was when we were talking about accessibility. The first time I ever truly thought about accessibility. was in that class because she gave us an assignment where we had to go around campus and jot down areas on campus that we noticed was not accessible for everyone. And that's when my mind, like, my process of thinking, like, really changed. And ever, ever since that class, I constantly think about it all the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's something so easy for us to do is just stay in the focus of ourselves mm-hmm. and only think about ourselves. Um, but once we put ourselves in the mindset of other people, it, it's not difficult to imagine the hurdles that yeah, we have to right. go through. It's just getting to that point where
0: we're aware of people Exactly. Things. It's truly that thing of being able to walk a mile in someone else's shoes. Yeah. Like, just be in that perspective for a minute, a mile, whatever that means. And you yeah. might have some new perspective.
2: Right. And, I mean, the whole concept of accessibility is that it's accessible for everyone. Yeah. right? So when you can change your mindset to recognizing... Um, yes, you might be an able-bodied human, but not all humans are able-bodied. So putting a ramp up or creating something that's accessible for someone else isn't going to inhibit you from going there. It's just going to make it accessible to a whole other population of people. Absolutely. And so that mindset change really can, I mean, it definitely can change your everyday thoughts um, because why not make everything accessible to everyone? Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I know a lot of the hikes that we were doing out last um, we would get to the top, and it would have either amazing view, overlook, um, mm-hmm. and the point of sh- wanting to share that view with other people, um, and then applying that mindset that not everybody can get to this point,
2: mm-hmm. um, yeah.
1: is really important, just to have that realization, and how can we do better. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so
0: talking about, I mean, it seems like obvious, why wouldn't we want people, everyone to be able to do something, but so maybe we could talk about some of the hurdles that we do face. And I know specifically in South Carolina and Charleston, it's historic. So there are some issues with changing infrastructure, buildings. Like, what have you noticed about that?
2: Right. So it's like obviously now if you're creating new buildings or you're building within this day and age, you have to go by certain guidelines. Um, And then they implemented guidelines for buildings that did not have accessibility and how to change that. And in a city like Charleston, where there's always so much already so much debate over the historic land and the historic buildings, it takes a really really long time. Um, a lot of refusal, a lot of lawsuits, um, and I just know we studied a bit in college about how like the amount of time it takes. So someone in a wheelchair or someone who has a physical. Disability can't access a certain part of the city and they have to call and comp- file a complaint so that the city makes that change and it can take years and years and years for those changes to happen and occur um, and I know I mean I know Charleston's a historic city but you you can only imagine how many different spots in this country that that's happening absolutely mm-hmm.
0: yeah
2: um
0: Definitely. I, I know you were telling us about that show do you want to say that which show? It was, like, Million Dollar Listing. Oh,
2: yeah, I was watching... I Okay, so I don't know specifics. <laughs> I don't know extreme specifics, but I was also, watching... Also, we're not
0: sure if that's the name of the show. Quick disclaimer. Yeah, let's, ha- ha- let's a, ha- put the ha- show under the ha- bus. was a television show where they were selling condos.
2: Yeah, I was yeah. watching a television show where they were selling um, condos, and one of them was historic. It had been built by a historic sculpture, like a famous sculpture. And the highest bidder on this condo was someone who had a physical disability and was in a wheelchair and they refused to sell the condo to this person because they were requesting to put a elevator in the condo and um, they got denied the opportunity to live there because they said that they would be ruining the historic value of this condo um, by putting an elevator in it and it's things like that that you just don't that just don't make sense to me, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And I had never thought of areas being historic as a hurdle that might be presented to people. It's like, a huge issue. Yeah, the 30s. So and like, I think that's why, like, for you guys, for national parks, it's a huge thing and why it's taking so long for national parks to implement this. Because they're known for preserving. Yeah. Um, and sometimes creating those opportunities for accessibility means that you do have to make space for it, you know?
1: Right, yeah. And sometimes it's not always noted as high enough value of a priority on the list Mm -hmm. um,
0: to accommodate for those disabilities in the park system. Mm -hmm. Yeah and I know you've traveled as well and have had experiences in the national parks do you have any takes on that that we haven't really brought up here or any?
2: I mean I think it's as simple as like access to a campground or access to bathrooms like Mm -hmm. uh or the buses that go through the parks like oftentimes I would hear stories about yes they have they have bathrooms that are supposed to be accessible, but they're not actually large enough for full, like full-size wheelchairs or the buses, like um, the scooters, the electric scooters, the buses aren't large enough for those um, and things like that. So I understand, you know, they're getting there and they're working towards that and progressing towards it, but there's still just so many tiny things you don't even think about. Like just trying to go to the bathroom yeah, or, you know, go to specific, um, specific places in a park that you just don't have access to. Um, I do think that out of all the parks that I traveled to, Yellowstone had a lot of access to uh-huh. their specifics, um, specific sites. Which, from an outsider's perspective, you're like, oh wow, this park's so built up; it's mm-hmm. not as natural. But then, when you look at it with a different lens, you're like, wow, okay, so many people have access to these different right. viewpoints. Um.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um. Yeah, it ends up being really restrictive if you look at it through that process. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, too, even like with camping, for example, those campgrounds fill up so quickly. Yeah. So if you don't have necessarily priority on it um, because you need that accessibility that that campground can offer and it fills up really quickly, then what yeah. do you do? You know, you're more inclined to just stay home and not travel. Yeah, and a large right. portion of disabled um, Americans unfortunately don't travel as often in this country,
2: yeah, and like for me, the way I was traveling was we stayed at free campsites, so I didn't know what this campsite looked like before I came to it, um but for someone who might have a disability, you can't just travel like that um I mean, you can, but you have to a lot for so much um
1: planning, yeah. yeah yeah, just
2: like yeah, um things that might not go right and having to rearrange and plan again, and things like that, yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. We do have a lot of privilege. Yeah, and to guess, yeah, and
0: yeah. when like when Tori and I were traveling, we were literally living day by day, waking up in the morning, deciding what we wanted to do. And right. That's a privilege because we're able-bodied people. Yeah, yeah, and but also, if it
2: could be a privilege for everyone, if we change if, the mindset of how we created structures in our country and how we created accessibility, it should be that absolutely everyone has access to everything. It should be a privilege for everyone. Yeah, right.
1: Um, and that was one of the missions when the parks. Were being founded. Yeah, was to providing public land Mm -hmm.
0: for public use. Yeah, which is a could be even a larger debate if we want to get into inclusivity, but that could be a whole (laughs) another episode. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Um, yeah, and I know to the big fan movement, um, that's gaining a lot of popularity as well. And again, with accessibility traveling in a van isn't always the friendliest option as well. Yeah. Um so not only just campsites but also like your mode of transportation too. Um, yeah. but outside of just handicap accessible or sorry wheelchair accessibility, um could you talk a little bit more about any other disabilities that you've encountered or that you've identified would be like restricted in the yeah. outdoor environment?
2: Um I mean for me uh personally the largest I mean, I work with emotional behavioral disabilities and um, pretty much 90% of my students come from really low income, impoverished mm-hmm. places. So um, I, I guess my mind automatically just goes to people that come from poverty right. uh, might not necessarily have disabilities or they might come from poverty and have disabilities. They have access to to not much at all, yeah. um, even including like national parks. If you think about that, the ability to travel. The ability to go to places like that and go and be in the outdoors a lot of them are stuck exactly where they are because they don't have the ability to do that right um or if you think about people with physical disabilities as well it costs a lot of money to have access to um cars that you can get in and out of and Mm -hmm. things like that um
0: so is your school um the school that you teach at are
2: those low-income students yeah i teach at a title one school
0: okay okay Did, and so i'm curious with covid and everything um what is going back to school looking like for you and your kids <sighs>
2: um so the students were given an option whether they wanted to return in person or virtually um teachers were not given that option um <laughs> just throwing some shade out there um and so my students um, most of them opted to stay virtual because the thing with my program is a lot of the times my parents are more stressed sending their students to school than not because their kids come to school and they act out and then their parents end up having to go pick them up or leaving work early and things like that. Mm -hmm. So a lot of them only send their kids to school sometimes because they're required to by law and we just promise them that we're going to do our best and treat them right and make sure everything's okay. Um, But at the end of the day, they feel more comfortable keeping their students home. Um, But a lot of my parents also are unemployed and are staying at home as well with their students. And that's just the reality of the situation.
0: Yeah. That's
2: difficult for a lot of different reasons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it's, well, it's frustrating for me as a teacher because the only way I have access to my kids is when they come to school. So I can see that they're getting bathed. I can see that they're getting fed. I can see that everything at home is okay, you know, and you spend the majority of time with them, so you kind of have an influence over what they're going through, where when they end up being in their home environment for such a long time, like, you lose access to recognizing whether they're, like, they're safe and they're in a safe environment.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's um, a really
0: important um,
2: thing to note.
0: Yeah, and an important role that you play as a special education teacher mm-hmm. or camp counselor, whichever role you're in, that's right that's something big that you take on yeah with that job yeah definitely well I think that's amazing I love the work that you do and I've always been inspired by it um I I think it takes um you know some really strong-minded people to go into this field and want to see change actively and that's why we have such great people who are special ed teachers yeah
1: absolutely and a lot of patience too which i know does not come naturally to a lot of people yeah um, so really admire that trait as well yeah
0: thank you i enjoy it yeah so are there any resources we can throw out there for people who might want to learn more or anything you have in mind to throw out
2: um well i was telling hannah obviously like the american with disability act if you ever want to do research on that um, there's a lot of good information about how people, um, with disability, what their rights are, um, and learn your own rights. And then I was talking about the national park websites. So every national park, if you go to their website and you go to the plan your trip option, there should be, um, a section for planning your trip if you have a disability mm-hmm. or you need access to certain things so that they can kind of give you, um, an outline of what your trip is going to look like. That's really nice that they do that. I didn't yeah. know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you can see whether you or not it's going to be a fit for you uh, with your particular um, difficulties. Yeah. Yeah, and hopefully
1: they'll also keep it updated with things that are to come um in terms of increased accessibility in the parks as well. Yeah. I know I did look up wheelchairtraveling.com. It was not a good resource? Um they review a lot of the parks in terms of functionality, um and so that's a great one to look into as well. And then also, the CDC mm-hmm. had some good resources too.
0: Yeah. Reliable. Um, yeah. Always good to check them out. Yeah, exactly. Um, great. Well, thanks so much for being with us today, Janet. I'm glad we could have this conversation with some more professional perspective than Tori and I can provide. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I hope I
2: provide you the professional. I, yeah, absolutely. And I it's learned anything, a lot for yeah. you
1: and if anything, it just gets those gears turning, you know, mm-hmm. shifting that mindset, which is a process. So hopefully that this conversation leads to that and to like with a lot of our listeners as well. And I think this week, normally we take the time to highlight a charity of the week. Um, but I think the most beneficial thing that you can do is to put yourself in that situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So kind of like how your teacher, had you do that homework? I would suggest our listeners to do that. Make that your homework. Put yourself in the perspective um, of somebody who's disabled for a day and just see the restrictions that you would encounter.
0: See what you notice and also just keep educating yourself. That's almost, that's just as good as donating time or money as just learning and becoming more aware.
1: Yeah, I think Mm -hmm. that as well. It's very,
2: the same enriching process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And also advocating. If you do go somewhere and you notice that there's not accessibility, advocating um, for those who wouldn't have access to that spot.
1: Yeah, being that voice for somebody who might not be able to in that time. Yeah, or who
0: may just not have a stronger voice right now. Exactly. You know.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Well, thanks for listening, guys. It's been another great episode, and we'll be back with more of Wait, Why.